in your sermon, your sermon notes in the bulletin, you want to pull those out, we're coming, I hope, to <coughs> me, the last section. We're in this passage that's dealing with liberty, and we're dealing with a, a section that's dealing with a warning within this concept. Chapters 8, 9, and 10 all deal with this idea of liberty in the church. For those who are believers in Jesus Christ, and we'll talk more about the specifics of that as a review, but as we come to this warning, I've said over the last few studies that we get to verse 13, and it's the focal point. Look at verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will, with the temptation, will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. This is a text of scripture that is well known, but is often, I believe, because it's well known, is often misrepresented. It's twisted. <clears throat> because what happens is that I think, I said satanically or however, if you take away the true meaning of a passage, it takes away its incredible weight, its incredible emphasis. This is a passage that I've said before, there's not a lot of warm fuzzies when you really understand what this passage is saying and the entire context is saying. This is not a passage that you deal with church growth because people are going to come and hear it and say, oh, this is all wonderful. This is a really serious passage and sadly it's been misrepresented as, you know, God's not going to give me more than I can handle. You hear that all the time. I hear it over and over and over. And I was thinking about just picturing this so you would see other passages that you would see this in and i was thinking of a couple passages and one that really hit me is proverbs 29 verse 18 and you may not know the reference right off the top of your head but there's a passage in scripture that says without vision the people perish you hear that all the time without vision the people perish and it's a passage that is often used by charismatics people that are very spirit-filled, where it's the idea is, if you don't get a vision from God, the people are not going to be blessed. They're going to suffer. Well, that's not what the passage is teaching. The word vision there is a Hebrew word that means revelation. And it was another word for like, like a prophetic word from God in the sense of his revelation, his, his giving of scripture. So the idea is, is that without the word of God, the people perish. And that's why the very next line is, but happy is he who keeps the law. Happy is the person that obeys the law. What do you mean? Why would that be the second? Well, because without the Bible, people perish. Hence, the emphasis is you to be reading your Bible, you to be understanding your Bible, because if you don't and put it into practice, it will have devastating impact on your life. So you can see how it's weakened if it's the idea of some type of charismatic vision. And people would justify it. Versus the power that's in that passage. Hey, you better understand how important the Bible is. And without it, you will suffer consequences in your own personal life. So then there's the other passage. Jeremiah 29. And also a 29 chapter. The other one was Proverbs 29. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. It's a passage that has been used... To convince people they have a good future. You see it on posters everywhere. And it's the passage that says, For I know the plans I have for you, 
the plans to prosper, or some of your Bibles might even have the plans for welfare and not for calamity. And people put that um, on their posters, they'll, they'll, they'll quote it, and they'll talk about, I know that God has plans for me to prosper. Or someone will say, I know that God has plans for you to prosper. Well, guess what? In the context, the previous verse is how God has brought death and destruction to the nation of Israel. Israel has been completely unfaithful, and God has said, for 70 years, I am going to put you in Babylonian captivity. And, but yet, despite all the incredible punishment that I'm giving on you, I want you to be comforted to know that I have plans for you, Israel. Now, yes, the Bible does teach that all things work for good for those who love Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 28. But it's not Isaiah. It's not that passage. And when you start taking passages out of context, you begin to lose the weight of them and the power of them. And so it's important that we always understand things in a right perspective. So you come to verse 13, and we have to understand that this is a passage that is teaching you can be obedient no matter what you face. Look at it again. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. So no matter what temptation that you're going to have, and we're going to come back to do the detailed description of this, you have no excuse. That, but with the temptation, God will provide a way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. You'll be able to last. And we've been talking about this as the idea of taking that run and going on the long run of life. So here's what we've seen so far. We've talked about the fact that when we talk about liberty, we're talking about the incredible doctrine that when we become believers in Jesus Christ, we didn't have to earn it. And so we're free from trying to continue to work for our salvation. I've recently talked again to somebody this week that said, you know, Jesus died, he paid the penalty, but I'm still doing my best. As, and, and, and I can't emphasize enough, there is a settled conviction for the true believer that understands Jesus paid it all. It's all over. The debt is paid. And we have to understand that that we have this doctrine when very few people do, and it provides liberty. And then the second concept is, is once you're saved, you're not going to lose that salvation. And that we went into passages like Galatians 5 and Romans 6, and we're secure in that. And that's an incredible reality, but it's not an excuse for us to sin. And that's where we're going through this warning today. So as we went through this thing, we want to recognize that sin wants to be your master. And we use some graphic pictures of slavery throughout the ages of how people have been held slaves. And I truly believe that God has allowed slavery now for us to understand the wickedness of sin. That sin destroys lives and sin can get you to do all kinds of bad things. Walk out on your family to drink, to do, be sexually immoral, to be a liar, to be a drug user, to be a, a drunk, to do all these things. And, and when we become believers in Jesus Christ, the thumb of sin is removed from us. And, and we should be evidencing it. And if you aren't, then you need to either come back to what it, 
um, to salvation or you need to start getting stronger. And part of that is like, well, which one is it, Mike? I don't know, but what I'm trying to find out is only believers endure. Look at that last line of verse 13 when it says, so that you will be able to endure it. And what the Apostle Paul was taking us at the end of chapter 9 was the fact that he was using all those sports metaphors that I love. And he says in verse 26, therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I know where I'm going. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my others so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. I will not find myself kicked out of the race, kicked out of the boxing match, meaning I wasn't a legitimate contender. And for all believers, we're going to win. But, and the evidence of it is, is that we stay faithful. This isn't that believers don't mess up. This isn't that believers don't have to confess sin. But we're going to stay on the path. We're going to keep on going. And this is what God is trying to get us to understand. So we went into this, okay, and we went into this, and we said we must learn from Israel's history. And so from verses 1 to 4 that I read earlier, there's this, in, this history where Israel's got three things that we have. A miraculous deliverance, a spiritual baptism into the leadership of Moses. We have it in Christ. We have the deliverance of salvation. We have the spiritual food. We went into John chapter 6. We eat the flesh of Jesus. We drink the blood of Jesus. I said, if you weren't with us, and I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast, is the idea of, of a passage that is rarely looked at because it becomes somewhat cannibalistic. And sometimes people think, well, you know, we don't want to become too Catholic and think about the fact that this is teaching communion. It's not. It's teaching what true belief is. And that's why when you look at verse 3 and 4, we, we, uh, we all ate the same spiritual food and we drank the same spiritual drink. He was talking about the Old Testament picture, but there's the application for the New Testament believer. When Jesus says, you better drink my drink and drink my blood and eat my flesh. And, and, and it's hard. And at the end of chapter 6, most of the people walk away because they say, oh my goodness, what you're asking is, in belief is a true commitment that my life changes. And chapter 6 of the Gospel of John is one of the most powerful chapters. It's one of the longest chapters in all the Bible. So we recognize what, what the, Paul here is trying to say is, look, we had the same blessings. But look, this is what we need to understand. God severely punished the Jews' abuses of liberty. Look at verse 5. And he says, nevertheless, and, that's, and I said, that's a very large but there. That is um, a word that it just means we're going to go in a different direction. These guys had all these blessings, but with most of them, God was not well pleased. The idea of being well pleased is a doctrine in Scripture that means that God's satisfaction is our pursuit. He wants the satisfaction. For they were laid low in the wilderness. Laid low. Only time that word is used in the New Testament, but used nine times in the Greek Septuagint about slaughter, killing. And God here is reminding us that God does bring death upon people. And this is where, you know, church growth, you know, smiley, happy, let's make church all happy, doesn't fit with a text like this where it's a reminder that God kills people. And he kills believers and he kills unbelievers who don't do what they're supposed to do. And so here comes now the four illustrations after verse 6, okay? Because in verse 6, he says, these things happen as an example so that we would not crave evil things as they also crave. 
And he says, verse 7, don't be idolaters. And we went into this concept of idolatry from Exodus 32. The people could not wait for Moses, so they set up their own religion with the worship of the golden calf. Remember how they couldn't wait for Moses? We're talking not like one year, five years, ten years. They, they couldn't wait for Moses to come down just, was that, 40 days? And so they set up this golden calf, and it led to a gluttony of, uh, and of, of, uh, of, of sin and sexual sins, and 3,000 Jews die. Look at that last line. They couldn't endure to the end. Then we went into this second one uh, with the immorality, and that's from verse 8. And nor let us act immorally, as some of them did. And 23,000 fell. And this comes from Numbers 25. So hopefully you got that down, because they're not the same passage. The, the 3,000 and the 23,000 are not the same, and it, it ties back to a different passage. And so the Jews listen to the evil prophet Balaam, and they get involved in sexual immorality. Sex was more important than God, God's rules over sex. Um, and that's, we saw that video where the guy w- w- was looking at the showgirls. And it's just not guys and it's not girls that, that people think their sex is more important. We don't care what God says. We're just going to do what we want. And so God is showing, if you wanted to follow me, people from Israel, and you, you're just going to disregard my rules, you're going to die. And so 23,000 fell in one day. There's the line. They didn't endure to the end. So here, let's pick up the new passage. Here we go, verse 9. Nor let us try the Lord. This is the next sin. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. This is a passage that comes from Numbers 21. It's the story of when God sent the serpents and Moses setting up the bronze serpent. And many of you could immediately start to say, oh, this is John 3.16, right? Right. The people had enough of God's food and water. They complained and God had enough of them. So he sent snakes to kill them. All right. And you think, you know, they had the manna and they had the water and, and God is providing it. And it was an incredible deliverance out of Egypt. And now we're wandering through the wilderness, but we're not happy with the food that God's providing. And so God, they complain. And the sin of trying God is when you are unsatisfied with what he provides. You know, God, I'm not happy with the spouse. I'm not happy with my job. I'm not happy with my income. I'm not happy with my children. And we're all struggling in, a, in, the, in the United States where we're constantly bombarded with an incredible amount of opportunities and selections. And our commercials are constantly telling us about things that we didn't even know about that we should all want, right? And you think, oh my goodness, I, you know, I, I need this. I need this. I need this. And this is where a lot of Americans are really challenged, I got to tell you. Well, God's looked at these people in Israel and what happened was he sent this judgment. And because he sends this judgment, Moses recognizes these snakes are killing him. And this is one of the few that we don't know how many were actually killed. And I just tell you to go back on your own to Numbers 21. We don't know how many are killed, but we do know Moses intercedes. He sets up the bronze serpent. And, and, and then because of the fact that anyone that could turn and just look at the bronze serpent would be healed. And you think, well, why wouldn't anyone t- look? Well, because if they didn't believe, they wouldn't turn. Hence, they weren't believers. Hence, they did not endure. So in John 3, 16, verses 15 and four, 14 and 15 talk about the fact that the bronze serpent was lifted up, and then 
John 3, 16. For God so loved, or for God in the same way loved the world. I always try to emphasize, I really don't think that word so is intensity there. I think it's a word that means in the same way. For God in the same way lifted up his son so that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. Okay? So um, that is just, it's a warning. Trying God, and you have to honestly look at your life and say, think to yourself, is it something that, you know, where you're satisfied? I want one of the, let me see if I, if I find my notes. Um, authors said something really, I thought, insightful. It talked about the fact that when you look at this passage, um, it, it, it doesn't say that, um, did I get the right one? Yeah. It doesn't say they put God to the test and back in Numbers 21. Just as a side note, in Psalm 78, it tells us what they did. Psalm 78, verse 18 says that they put God to the test in their hearts, asking for food to their desires. In other words, what they were saying is, God, what you've done is unacceptable. You've got to do better. You're challenging God. You're putting God to the test, telling him he has to come through with something more, something else. There is food, and, and they're not happy with it. And so look at your own life right now and challenge You know, God, you're not coming through for me. I'm not going to come for you. I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to get involved. Therefore, you're trying God. Look at the next sin, complaining. And complaining comes from verse 10. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. And one pastor said in his commentary, he said, this could take out 85% of a church. The idea of complaining, grumbling. This comes from Numbers 16 and 17. The people are upset that God has brought divine justice on Korah, Dathan, Abarium, and others, other rebels. What happens is these guys are leading a challenge to Moses, and they're taking the people down to a, a different religion almost. And so what God does is kill these guys. And the people are like, how dare God do this? How dare God bring judgment upon these people? And so the murmuring is dissatisfaction with God's sovereign will for our lives and the lives of others. This is a challenge of God, his wisdom, his grace, his goodness, his love, and his righteousness. And so, you know, when all of a sudden something happens and you're not happy with it, and you grumble, you don't like the way God did something. I don't like how God did this, how these results came about. And so what happens is God sends the destroyer, and we know that 14,700 are killed in this one. So what happens? They don't endure to the end. And the challenge for all of us then comes about, are we going to be content in our circumstances? And and Philippians chapter 4 tells us, the Apostle Paul tells believers, and you can just jot this down, For time's sake, the Apostle Paul says he learned to be content in whatever circumstances he was in. Okay? That's another passage that's taken out of context in that sense. Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? The idea is I can go through anything and learn to be content in that situation. That's what the Apostle Paul is teaching. And this is the situation where all of us have to learn. And especially in a country in which there's abundance, we have to learn to have contentment. We need to have the right attitude. And the right attitude is that not only are you at peace in your heart, but then you're going to still continue to serve God and be on God's team. Because what happens is if when you're upset with God, as you say, okay, God hasn't come through for me, 
God's not done what I wanted him to do. Therefore, I'm going to live my own life and I'm going to start following my own rules. Well, this is where the warning comes in. I want you to understand. We, we went through these three passages, okay? 1 Corinthians 6, Revelation 2, 21, Hebrews 3. And what God is saying is these people weren't faithful to the end. They didn't endure. And I just want to take you through this one passage. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. This is right after that, obviously, the Hebrews passage in 3. But go to the book of Hebrews chapter 4. And this concept of making the run all the way to the end is emphasized often in this book of uh, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4 we, we saw that in the context that the people weren't faithful in the wilderness wanderings. So what happens in verse 16, it says, God, for, for who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses. And with whom was he angry for those 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were, what, disobedient. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Now, therefore, let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you seems to have come short of it. Meaning, you could be someone that's following God, but you've really never come to faith, and you've nearly never made that commitment. And it's tied into a genuine fear of God, so you're not playing games. For in verse 2, for indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also... But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith with those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. Now, we don't have time to do a study on rest, but it goes back and forth with the seventh day, as well as creation, and then ultimately heaven in this text. And when you go, therefore, down to verse 6, it says, Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day today, saying, Through David, after so long a time, just as he's been able to, has been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So the idea is today, if you're hearing the gospel and you're hearing the truth of God, don't harden your heart. Believe. And it should come out in the way that you continue to live your life in fear and honoring God. Look, verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest himself shall, uh, enter, shall also rest from his work, has rested from his works, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall, or, yeah, fall, through following the same example of disobedience. The people that went through the wilderness and who really never truly had saving faith and believed. Here comes a verse that's well known. And this is in its context, verse 12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God knows if you're playing games with him. That's what that passage is. And God's word cuts through. And right now it cuts through your heart. And you know whether you're genuine or not. Whether you're just playing the game of church 
whether you're genuine. And if you're genuine, you're saying, yes, I know, I have to be sincere about staying faithful and staying on the path because I have to endure. That's what believers do. They stay on that path. So go back to 1 Corinthians 10 and then understand this. As we come to verses 11 and 13, it comes now to where we apply. We apply. And I'm just going to read. It says, now these things happened to them as an example. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. And the idea here, okay, is that now we are coming to this application. And I'll get my notes. Okay, we're coming to this application. And, you know, when I was in school, (coughs) and the teacher would go over material, and then... All of a sudden, a kid would raise his hand and say, teacher, is this on the test? <laughs> is this on the test? Why, are they, why would somebody do that? Because they're raising their hands because, like, do I have to study this? Do I have to even pay attention? Because is this applicable? I want you to understand this is now applicable. Pay attention. This is what God is saying. And here, the very first thing, you got your sermon notes, fill in the blank, the link. So you fill in the blank, this is applying, and this is a link. And that's what verse 10 is about. Our verse 11, he says, now these things happen to them as an example. Now, we've had that word example before. Now, it's, and it says, and these things were written for our instruction. We get like nuthetic counseling, nuthetic advice, you know, telling people what to do. So this is, so the idea here, instruction that's telling you how to act upon whom the end of the ages have come. So the idea is it's for us. All of this has happened. God has sovereignly allowed these things to happen so that we would learn. The end of the ages, I believe, the time between Christ's first coming and second coming. It's the long time. After this, there's no other age. And I put this up here. I thought this would be (laughs) that basically we're supposed to watch and learn. I couldn't find any other theater um, picture. This is a drive-in theater with the movie The Ten Commandments. Okay, We're watching this movie. And I've shared with you, you know, even myself, when I was an unbeliever, I'd watch it. And you would watch the people. Moses would split the Red Sea. The people would walk through. And then, like the next scenes, they're complaining. They're murmuring. They're going to another God. And you're sitting there saying, why in the world would you do that? And then God opens up. And, you know, those people die. And they get killed. And you say, oh, my goodness, you fools. Well, listen. God has given us our Old Testament. So it's almost as if we're watching the movie play out. And, and, you know, when you watch the movie play out, you can say, oh, my goodness, it was just like a couple minutes ago that you went through the Red Sea. How in the world could you be turning against God now? And that's what the link is here. This is what you are supposed to learn. And, and I wish that our lives were just from one video to the next, like, you know, you turn the page. Or, you know, you read your Old Testament and you go from Exodus 18 to Exodus 40 or something just like, just like that, you know. But you live your life, you make a profession of faith, you're 20 years old, and then 10 years goes by, and 20 years goes by, and 30 years goes by, and all of a sudden there's test after test after test. There's test of marriage, test of children, test of, of, of your work, test, test, challenges, okay? And it's not just a simple, hey, we went from, you know, video five minutes ago to the, to the video now. 
But God is saying, listen, learn from these people. Yes, 40 years in the wilderness, eating the same food would be hard. But God is saying, if this is what I provide, there's, I'm going to give you the power to accept it and to have joy over it. And, and, and this is what I hear. Like, you know, I'm not happy with my spouse. I'm not happy with my job. I'm not happy with this. Now, some things you could change. Spouse, you can't. <laughs> you know? and, and, and the reality of it is, is God is saying, no matter what you do, I want you to honor me. I don't want you to be a, you know, I don't want you to fall into idolatry, immorality. I don't want you to be someone who tries me. I don't want you to be someone that, that, that is a complainer. And, and then somebody who gets into all kinds of, you know, the, the people who got into the idolatry got into all kinds of drinking. You could say maybe on the drugs. They got into all kinds of partying, all kinds of wickedness. And we live in a wicked world. And people just say, I don't care what God says. But God is saying, I want you to understand. Watch and learn. Because God doesn't play games. And I have had people tell me, I've told you this, on their deathbed, tell me God wasn't playing games. He caught them. So here, look at this. The command is to be humble. Look at verse 11. I mean, verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. The idea of, of, of attacking people's pride is one of the most common themes. I was reading Psalm, I mean, Proverbs 16 yesterday for my encouragement for you to regularly read a Proverbs a, a day. And I was thinking about how Proverbs 16 is often the proverb that when I think about Proverbs 16 deals with, with sovereignty. But as I read through it, and this is my encouragement, you go back and you read Proverbs 16, and it is a proverb that really deals with the attack on pride. Pride is where we think that we're okay and nothing's going to happen. Oh, I can handle a little drink. Oh, I can handle maybe a little sin. I can be maybe a little rude. I can be a little slippage of the tongue here. Oh, I can watch something like this. And here's what God is saying. Take heed lest you fall. And I love this imagery. I love this imagery of getting close to a cliff and thinking that you're safe and that you're not going to fall over. And so, I mean, it's, it's, think of the imagery. I was thinking, you know, uh, you, I remember going to the Grand Canyon, for those who've gone to the Grand Canyon. And you come to the edge in certain places, and there's a railing. And, you know, you look over, and you feel really, really safe, right? But certain places uh, along the entire rim, they don't have railings. And, you, you know, <laughs> you just don't want to go with a three-year-old to the Grand Canyon because it's terrifying, all right? And... And so I've gone there, and, I, you know, you, you get there, and you think, I can look over. Well, three people a year, I checked the figures, die falling over the edge of the Grand Canyon every year, okay? And what happens is, I don't know how many believers, because we can't, you know, I'm reading the obituaries this morning, and in the obituaries, there's not like, and so-and-so died because he just got too far to the edge, and God finally took him out. It doesn't say that, okay? Maybe we would catch more of it if God had obituaries read like that. What we need to understand is that God is telling us this passage to keep us more standing here than standing there. And I'll tell you, I, I want to keep this before me all the time because it's, I, 
I know it, my tendency can't be any different than yours is sometimes thinking, oh, I could stand right here and I'll be okay. I'll stand there and I'll be okay. And the reality of it is none of us knows when we can take a step and fall. You see, does God take believers out? Yes, 1 Corinthians 11. Does God take unbelievers out? Yes, he does. Which one are you? I don't know. But I surely don't want God to take me out as an unbeliever. And I really want to make it to the end as a faithful believer. So hence, look at this. Here we go. The need to understand there's no excuse for true believers to sin. So no temptation. So put in the blank, no excuse. No temptation. And a temptation is a test. It's a word that can be used positively or negatively. And I think in this connotation, it's, it, is, it is negative. So no temptation has overtaken you. Like it's captured you. All right? Because that's what you feel. Like you're put into like a cell or it's trapped you. But as such as common to man, meaning it's usual to man. So God knows, and we know that Jesus went through life, and he went through what we went through. Nothing is ever going to take you that is common to man that basically God doesn't know about because God is faithful. And so, you know, you, you, you go through a situation, and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're in a situation where maybe you, 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 the test is, okay, um, the test is things aren't working well in my marriage, so therefore... I can start looking elsewhere. Or things aren't working well financially, and I can justify stealing. I told you. I, I was shocked. I, because of my contacts within churches, one of the most faithful men I knew was caught one time stealing from his church. Not a pastor. Someone on staff. Why? Because he felt that everybody else was doing well economically in his church, and he was fully justified as to why he could start stealing from the church to buy things for his house, to buy things for his children. You know, things aren't going well. Therefore, I have full justification. I just need a little um, soothing so I can justify why I'm drinking. I can justify why I'm doing drugs. I can justify why I'm lying, why I'm doing this. What we need to understand is temptation is going to come to you, and it's going to come in a test that's common to man. And what I wanted you to see, as I've shared this over and over and over, it doesn't come like this. Remember, remember, it comes in beautiful ways. I just put it as a beautiful angel. I didn't want to put anything up there to test you, okay? Um, because remember, in the Garden of Eden, the serpent was beautiful. Every picture I've seen, someone's got to one day come up with a picture where the, the, the serpent is absolutely gorgeous. But a serpent coming to you with an apple, or whatever the fruit was, to me, now that's horrific. But temptation isn't coming like that. It's coming where you think it's okay, it looks nice, it's beautiful. It's funny, I I worked on this, and I came to work this week, and the song, um, Angel of the Morning, okay? There's a song that's out there, I, I should start singing, Angel of the Morning, and I and I started listening to the words. You know, I'm, I said, I'm just an angel in the morning. And the whole song is about the fact that this angel, this woman, this woman is claiming to be this beautiful angel that's come to this guy. 
but they're having an affair. And it's totally the idea that, you know, she's still going to be an angel in the morning. And, and if light comes us to in the morning, the, you know, and our sin has caught us, it's okay. Because that's how sin is. And I'm thinking, that, well, from one perspective, that's the lie. So here's what I want you to see. The way of escape. Look at, look at we'll wrap this up. It says, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, okay, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape. And so I love this because this is a, if you can't see, this is a jail cell. And when you feel trapped in sin and sin is taking you down and you feel like there's no way to get out, God is going to provide a way for you to escape. Um, God is going to get you out of it. Where's my notes? I've got to find this. One of, yes. One author wrote this, and I, I, he said, suppose you are trapped on the second floor of a burning building, and there is no way out except to jump from a window. You are foolish if you don't take this way of escape. The leaping experience might be very painful, but a broken leg is nothing compared to being burned alive. Suppose you are being chased through the African bush by a lion. When all hope seems gone, you notice a ranger station. You are downright stupid if you don't run to the safety and the help of a ranger. To take this way of escape is not to admit weakness and defeat. It is a matter of choosing life over death. Suppose you are on a luxury liner that is just beginning to sink. Even before the ship shows the slightest sign of going down, the command to get into lifeboats is given. You are very short-sighted if you don't avail yourself of this way of escape. Yes, it will mean leaving the fun in the sun of the pleasure cruise. And it takes guts to commit yourself to the sea in a small lifeboat. But how much better it is to be saved before it's too late than to be caught helpless in the way of escape that has now closed. Now listen to me. When I went through this passage, I said to myself, why doesn't God say, and the way of escape is this? Because, listen, I believe God is sovereign and each one of them will be different. I think that God will sometimes give you an opportunity like Joseph with Potiphar's wife where you can just run out of the house. Now, Potiphar ran out of the house. If you're unfamiliar with the story from Genesis 39, where a woman was coming on to him, and he runs out, and he gets accused, and he gets thrown in jail. And you think, my goodness, this guy honored God, but he's in jail. But yes, it'd be far better to be in jail than to commit the sin. You, you, You know, Moses turning down Pharaoh and all his riches led him to be someone who had to work through the wilderness for, what, 40, 80 years. But it's far better to honor God and go through hardship than to give into sin. Jesus, in the te- gar- his temptation in the wilderness, he turns down Satan, and he ends up going to the cross, and it's hard. Look, I don't know what your trial will be, what your test will be, but I'm telling you, listen to these verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Philippians 4, 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 19. And Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I don't know how God will sovereignly get you out of a situation, but you need to trust him pray have scripture come to mind run flee i don't know what it is but you will find it when you come to it i'll end here listen don't listen to the devil's lies when sin commands you don't listen don't obey sin's orders i want us to be a faithful church i want you to win in the end the way of escape will sometimes involve turning away from the pleasure ship 
and committing oneself to the hardships of the lifeboat. Think of the Christian college student who realizes that he's being pressured into a pattern of life that is just one big selfish pleasure trip. It takes more than a little commitment to separate from this lifestyle and get involved from the Christian fellowship group on campus or the small Bible group in the community. These lifeboats are not always the most inviting or glamorous, but they are always the way of escape that God provides and promises will be there. This application is certainly appropriate to more Christians than just college students. Many growing Christians will find themselves being drawn into the pleasure of the world, but the world is a sinking ship. Why risk spiritual shipwreck while the way of escape is still available? Putting the Lord first in our way of living is not only obedience, but it may very well be the way of escape from spiritual ruin. And my prayer for you is that you will understand this warning. Let's pray. Father, how I pray that we are people that grasp and understand this incredible challenge. We're free in Christ. We have liberty. But it's not a liberty to sin. Help us to challenge, even today, maybe to look at our lives and see where we're getting too far to the cliff. Maybe some of us have kind of gone over and we're hanging on the edge. But I know, God, if they would repent, if someone would repent, you'll pull them back. God, you love us. You care for us. You've died for us. But we're not also to play games with the incredible blessings. Help us to be people that continually show the world that we're different. And whatever that way of escape is, for anyone that's in the midst of temptation today, please, God, make it evident to them. Make it evident to them where they have to change friends, change jobs, start watching different programs, get rid of their cable TV, get rid of the internet, get rid of certain books in their house, get rid of certain friends. God, help people make the right choices. Help them, Father. And for those that are looking at their lives and saying, oh my goodness, I am nothing but someone that practices immorality. I follow idolatry. I love my wealth. I love my sex. I love my drugs. I love my drink. I love my lying. I love my gossip. I love my whatever over God. That today they'll recognize the importance of repenting because God doesn't let anyone get away with a false God. Help them come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Open their eyes, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.